Hello and welcome to another episode of Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show about the New York Giants, New York Mets, movies, television, comedy, and a whole lot more. It's hosted by a giant mess. That's me, the real cinch, Neil Lynch. I'm a plump and furry Irish-Italian-American who graduated from a Catholic high school but isn't Catholic and a college known for producing doctors and lacrosse players, and then I became neither. Instead, I'm a blogger, vlogger, podcaster, writer, editor, video optimizer, content strategist, and failed stand-up comedian. And uh, I have a voicemail. Not sure if you know. 862-BIT-1986. 862-BIT-1986. You can follow me on my official blog, neilinch.com. I have a big blog post dropping tomorrow, hopefully. Facebook.com slash giant mess on Twitter. I'm real cinch. I'm also real cinch on Instagram and YouTube. Of course, you can always subscribe to me on uh, on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, there's like eight or nine more that I'm on. On this week's episode, on today's episode, on this episode, should the Mets bring back the Dark Knight, aka Two Face, Matt Harvey? Thor. Noah Syndergaard tore his UCL and will need Tommy John surgery. Uh, What does that mean for the starting rotation and for the bullpen and for his future in a Mets uniform? Anthony DeComo from MLB.com gave us his ranking of the top five Mets first baseman of all time. I'm going to break that down. I'm also going to look at how coronavirus, not sure if you've heard about it, how that little disease, that little annoying illness will impact free agency. And then we'll round out the show with some Giants talk. How the Giants fared on Pro Football References top 100 games of all time, top 100 players list, and the top 100 teams ever. We'll also look at how the Giants fared in free agency. Some hated it, some liked it. I don't know that anyone really loved it, but we'll get into that. And then uh, we'll finish up with what the Giants should do in the upcoming draft, which will not be postponed. Roger Goodell is putting his foot down. So let's get started. Let's dive into it. Let's talk about a little bit about life, first of all. Last time we talked, it was uh, right around Friday the 13th. And that seems to when, seems to be when everything went to haywire. Um, coronavirus was kind of like this funny thing that we all talked about and we're, we're like, ah, China, you crazy Chinese over there in China land, uh, with your virus. Um, didn't really sink in, I think at that point. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I opened that episode by saying that it was running roughshod and that it was taking over the world. I did, I don't think I anticipated it happening at this kind of level. Uh, we were instructed on Tuesday the 10th to work from home until further notice, just as a precaution. And then there was an abundance of caution. That seemed to be the, the phrase word. We, we now have a new phrase, social distancing. Uh, there's uh, Everything is different. There are virtual happy hours on Zoom. Um, and, you know, I, it, everything's different. Everything. March Madness was canceled. And uh, XFL was canceled. <laughs> Baseball opening day was supposed to be like this past week. That's been postponed. There was they were saying that maybe it looks like they could possibly start playing July 4th. 
which is typically right around the halfway point, right when the All-Star game, All-Star break would be, which I have to think would might actually benefit the Mets, if we're being honest. Um, it would give Yoannis uh, Cespedes some extra time to heal. Jed Lowry, I don't know that there's enough time in human history for Jed Lowry to heal. But, uh, you know, people are down about the coronavirus, and I get it. People are people are dying, and the death rate is – you see the curve. We're trying to flatten the curve. It's exponential. It's going – shot right up. And, uh, you know, there are memes to get you through your day to kind of try and keep a light heart during the heavy times. Um, people are in quarantine or losing their minds. They're getting cabin fever. Not this guy. I was born to work from home. I was born to stay at home. I was born to never leave the fucking house. This is this is like my wheelhouse. This is exactly my sweet spot. Is staying at home, working from home, never leaving the home. <laughs> and uh I it's it's interesting my mom is f- losing her shit. I mean, she she now FaceTimes us, calls us every day, trying to figure out what's going on. I, and uh, if I cough, or s- as much as like, you know, hiccup, it's like, oh, you got to get tested. You got to go. The, you got to visual. You got to do a virtual visit, tele visit your doctor and ER, and it's just like you need to order all this. And it's like we're we're doing our best here. We're trying our best. Um, my part of my team a, a healthy healthy chunk of my team at work went down for the count i'm not saying they took a dirt nap i'm saying they just were not able to work and that is why it's been 3 weeks since my last episode because i was doing 3 jobs and then i decided to do i'll just add 3 more man fuck it let's do 10 jobs at once so i'm doing i was doing the work of about you know 6 to 10 people just about <laughs> Um, trying to make up for 16 lost people, not lost as in forever, just temporarily not, uh, not able to work up to stay up to like 1230 AM trying to get stuff done, had to work till nine another night. I mean, it was a, a six, almost a 60 hour week, which I know there are people, I have friends in finance that spit on that number that laugh in the face of that number. 60 hours a week try 80 try 100 hours a week you pompous little bitch and yeah i get it but for me 60 hours that's a lot um so i was kind of burning you know i was already stressed <laughs> stressed out and burnt out at work and then uh just decided to, to dump coronavirus on me and add to that so uh yeah i had every intention uh last monday it was like i'm finally gonna sit down crank one out not that way, but a, a pod, a show, an ep. I was going to crank one of those out all over your face. And and that's when I got the call. Hey, no, you're not going to have any support tonight. And we need support. And can you ask so-and-so? And I asked so-and-so. And I'm like, hey, you want some overtime pay? No, thanks. Okay. Awesome. So I had to suck it up uh, that night. And been a battle slowly but surely i'm getting people back into the flow of things which is great and um this feels like this is the new norm now um you know i know like movie theaters were shutting down 
And now we got like home premieres, which who the fuck is buying those? I mean, I can understand you, you're you out and about, you get dinner, you want to go to the movie theater and, and you're on a date or something like that. You run to shell out maybe maximum $20 to see it in a nice big theater with a nice big screen and a nice killer sound system. How people expect people to pay 20 bucks to stream it at home in advance of it being released? Nah, dude. Now to to stream it, to rent it, 20 bucks? You're charging me 20 bucks to buy it. So uh, I was a little put off by that, but um, here are the things I, so coronavirus got a lot of people down, a lot of, a lot of people losing their minds. I'm, I'm like, I'm like a pig and shit. I fucking, I'm, I kind of, kind of love this. Outside of the whole death thing, horrible, horrible that people are dying. Got it. But zero zero dollar delivery fees on food it's huge jersey mike's offered 50 percent off everything and we got four giant ass subs that lasted us the whole weekend the wife and i so you're getting delivery for free which is huge uh and even though march madness is canceled and a lot of the sports are canceled. NHL is postponed, possibly canceled. NBA is postponed, possibly canceled. You're now seeing the greatest games of all time being replayed. Like 30 for 30, they, ESPN, March, Mad, they're, March Madness, I think they're doing a great job of just airing like the best to greatest March Madness games on weekends. Just relive those. Why not? Amazing. Love it. NFL is re-airing all kinds of greatest games. NBA, NHL. Uh MLB, you know, everyone's airing the best that there is out there. It's not too shabby, you know? So it's not necessarily no sports, just no live sports. Uh, I mean, ESPN brought back the Ocho, which is great. 30 for 30, which is like you, you couldn't find it anywhere because ESPN was trying to monetize the fuck out of it. So they were like putting it behind all kinds of paywalls and all that jazz and you could just couldn't find it. And now it's like marathons every weekend on ABC. Fantastic. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of, it is a nightmare, but I am living the dream. I get to watch the greatest, best content that sports has produced over the past however many years i get to order severely discounted delivery food so you don't get to hang out with people i guess this is this goes back to the fact that i'm introvert and i and i don't like i i like going to parties and hanging out and talking and shooting the shit and that's great but like i don't need i don't need i mean i love my friends but i don't and i i don't say i don't want to say like i don't need my friends but uh, like I'm, I'm able to get, I'm not losing my sanity just yet. I mean, I did blow my stack Friday night. That was for sure. Just got bombarded with requests at work at like 8 PM. when I'm trying to just like, just try to get up on the weekend, you know, try to get up all up in the weekend's guts and work would not let me. And I, and I eventually lost it. Um, Ended up breaking my wife's Peloton water bottle. We got a Peloton. Yep. I was against it from the start. I think it's way too expensive for a sta essentially a stationary bike with a TV attached to it. 
But uh, the wife has been riding it, and I gotta say, I am secondhand enjoying her riding the Peloton bike because she, if you just like, if I'm on the couch and my back is to her and she's on the bike and she's huffing and puffing, it kind of gets the blood flowing. You kind of close your eyes and you're just like, all right, work it out, baby. <laughs> it does something for me. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I haven't ridden it yet. Rode it yet? Ridden it yet? I don't know. Somehow I like tore my meniscus in my sleep. That's how fucking out of shape I am. Um, but I might give it a shot this weekend. What the hell? So we got a Peloton, super goddamn expensive, but I don't know. It could be worth it. Um, and we're selling our house. There's the announcement. Just drop, just, you dropped the bomb on me, <laughs> baby. Yeah, we're selling our house. That's official. Um, it wasn't even on the market. And I feel bad for my mother because my mother has been trying to sell her house in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, uh, Wildflower Trail. Just go and take a look. Who knows? You might like it. Uh, it's right on the 13th green of Myrtle Beach National Golf Course. It's a, a fantastic house. It's a beautiful house. I love it. Um, she did a lot of work to it and brought it up to speed, modernized it, renovated it a little bit, and it, it's a beautiful house. I mean, I wish if we if work, honestly, if work didn't like fucking chain us to the New York City metropolitan area, I would buy that shit in a heartbeat. I moved down there because uh, I, I really enjoyed that house a lot. She was there from 2007 to, yeah, 2019, so about 12 years. I think that's the longest stretch she's spent in one area. <laughs> Possibly her entire life. <laughs> 12 years. Um, and uh, so now she's moved into the, the mother-in-law suite, I guess they call it, quote-unquote, behind my, mo- my sister's house in a very rural part of South Carolina, which that's a nice house too. Um, and has renovated that and kind of modernized that. And, uh, I guess the only big problem she's got there, well, you know, there's always problems, but the septic tank, there's like a huge septic tank issue problem, which is interesting considering it's just one, two, three, four, five people on the premises and no one for miles (laughs) except cows. Uh, and soy. Um, so yeah, she's been, she's spent months trying to sell this house. My wife was on a Facebook group for moms in Wayne. And one of the moms was like, we're desperate to buy a house in in this school district. Can anyone help us out? And she was just like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not, we're a ways away, probably a year or two, but come on by, take a look. And of course they sent their, their real estate agent. She came, took a look, was like, yeah, this is pretty decent. I'll give you a price later that night. She gave us a price. We were like, holy moly, we'd be, are we, would we be foolish to, to reject this? We had no intention of accepting. We were like, what number would you possibly accept? Not thinking it would get to that number and it did. And then we had a couple of, uh, in-depth serious conversations with my mom and my, uh, father-in-law and they were both like, uh, Yeah. So these are two people. One's a landlord and the other one's moved a, a dozen times. So I kind of trust their advice, their opinion. And so we agreed. So within a span of a weekend, three days, two days maybe, we were like, yeah, we're selling our house. We got a buyer and we agreed to a price and there, we now have a closing date, which is uh, 
close to Memorial Day weekend. And now we have to find a place to live in the middle of a fucking pandemic. No big deal. NBD, no pressure. Uh, so that's, why not? You know, coronavirus, teams depleted at work, extra hours, no sleep till Brooklyn. Uh, Brielle's daycare shut down. Uh, we felt like total idiots because we were told to work from home starting on the 10th and we sent her into school every single day, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. And then we sent her back on Monday, the 16th after they sent us a message that was kind of ambiguous. That was like, Hey, we're open and we're here to serve the children of first responders and those who need it. And we're like, well, we kind of need it. We're both working. And uh, so we sent her in that Monday, the 16th, and Brielle was one of four children in that entire goddamn school. No regrets. <laughs> it's like, that was pretty bad. So, um, and of course, the teachers love her. So they were all up on her, like white on rice. And so she probably, she came home with like a hacker's cough, like lay off the marble reds, lady. And uh, so she probably got it and then gave it to us. Um, Cass and I have like tightness in our chest, coughing here and there, short of breath-ish, asthmatic. You know, my my respiratory system, every system I got under the hood, not 100%. It's never been 100%. It's been subpar at best my entire life. So I'm susceptible to like bronchitis and all that great, great stuff. Um so, yeah, I was a little worried. Mm. But we're we're getting through it. We neither of us had a fever. Cass was a little caught uh cautious. Well, yeah, cautious, but also nauseous. A little caution nosh. And uh, you know, I got a little nauseous last night, but overall, I think it's just I think we're all right. I think we're going to be all right. Uh, but so what has the coronavirus done to baseball? What has it done to football? Um, what has it done to my life? So yeah, we're selling the house. Okay. And like the, the inspector came, uh, did his inspection, provided his inspection report. We have a lot of poor, fair to poor items in this house, which is sad because it was built in 2017. Like I would love to just, I had the means just to sue the piss out of the the builder who built this house and the person who sold the house, possibly the real estate, just sue everybody, sue their panties off because, uh, yeah, I feel like we got a bill of goods. We just got, we got hosed a little bit. Um, and I love how I'm saying that as, as we're about to close. So hopefully the buyers aren't listening to this. No, I mean, it's not bad. I mean, we hooked up the electricity to the garage. You know, who who installs a garage door opener in a garage that has no electricity? The people who sold the house to us or the person who sold the house to us. Um, they just half-assed a lot of things. They cut some corners and now we're 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 having to pay for it. And the the worst part about it is I think it's all right. It shouldn't be that much money. You know, half a dozen items or less, five or six items that seem doable. The problem, the issue is trying to get a 
business person in this area to fucking respond and come out here, give us a quote, and do the goddamn job. At this point, I don't know, $10,000, $20,000. Just name your price. Come over here and name your goddamn price because it's insane trying to get in touch with people online. I mean, that's just, I mean, what year is it? Like 1920? Does the internet even exist according to these people? Because none of them have a website. If they do, it's outdated. All the links are broken. None of the, you can't fill out a form. Nothing works. Or they have a Facebook page that they don't update with no contact information. You call the number, leave a message, they don't get back to you. I set up an appointment with one of these fuckers for Wednesday at noon. Sent him an email with all the information, with all the pictures, the inspection report, the demands from the buyers. Just didn't come. Ended up calling him, ended up emailing him, didn't respond, didn't respond. Another guy called me, talked to him, sent him the inspection report, demands, all that jazz, just didn't respond. It's just, it's just insane. At this point, it's like literally the amount of effort that you have to put in to actually get business in this area, not that hard. Just respond. Give a quote that's reasonable. And I mean, like, I, I feel like if I get born again, that I should be come back as a fucking contractor or small business person in this area. Because I would have contact info everywhere. And I would get back to you as soon as possible. And I would rack the fuck up. Because these people just don't understand business. Uh, Yeah, so that's my old man rant. 60 minutes style, bitch. Um, Yeah, so Corona. Oh boy. Corona, Corona. Um, so that's life. It's basically what we're dealing with right now. Uh, you know, we were supposed to go away uh, in a week to see my, my 90, now 92 year old grandmother. Uh, she probably hates that I mentioned her age, but what are you going to do? Supposed to meet up with my, uh, buddy from, uh, junior, junior high, middle school, um, up in Rhode Island. And that's not going to happen. We had, uh, there's supposed to be two weddings. There's supposed to be a wedding this Saturday, and that got quote unquote canceled. Not postponed, canceled. We had another wedding, another two weddings in two weeks, mid April. Both of those got postponed, one to July, one to August, which actually, you know, you know, coming up all, all roses for me because I didn't, you know, I was conflicted about which one to go to. I was going to try and go to both somehow, some way. You know, split me down the middle, clone me. Um, and now I get to go to both, which is which is cool. There's supposed to be a bachelor party last Friday down in AC. And up until a week before then, these dudes, God bless them, were planning to go. <laughs> they were like, no one's going to be there. It'll be fine. We'll have the whole casino to ourselves. Da, da, da. It's just like, what world are we living in? Um, spring breakers, kids on spring break. Hey, hey, I get it. Like you're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And you have been probably like, I never did this cause I never went on spring break, but the, I, I had friends that were like cutting weight, trying to get shredded, trying to get ripped, 
going on diets hardcore for a month or more just so they could like have the abs pop, which is so essential at spring break. And to go through all that pain and gain to ha- to not be able to go and drink your face off and do drugs and have sex and party. It's like, that sucks. That's like their fire festival. <laughs> and yet they still went. They're like, nah, fuck that son. I'm going and I'm raging and we'll see how it pans out. Um, you gotta love, I, I mentioned this in the last episode, but you gotta love the daily live streams from de Blasio, Cuomo and Murphy. The mayor, the governor, the governor. Um, I mean, they're these are these guys are just living it up in the limelight and the spotlight. Uh, and uh, you know, I can't imagine having to sit there and listen to all those questions from all those goddamn reporters who think their question is so important. And you know, and it's like, I don't know, the New Jersey one, Murphy one's funny because he just he just like goes around the room. He just takes his time and he doesn't go from reporter to reporter for each question. He's like, say every question that you've ever had. I will write them down as you go and I will answer them one by one. (laughs) And it's just funny because like these reporters are like, and what is this about? And why is this about? And how is this about? And who is it? And they just go on and on. And it's just like, do you really have that many questions? And it's like, if you don't ask all those questions, are you fired? Like, what's going on here? So, but like I said, Breeze Daycare shut down. So we got the babysitter. We got the babysitter will be able to help us out. Maybe in the mornings to start off with, maybe in the afternoons here and there, she'll be able to help out. And she was able to help out for maybe two or three days, four days. And then she got sick. She was visiting her 90-year-old grandmother. And so that's that. We have zero childcare. And my wife and I both work. I work. My work is just nonstop bullshit. And hers is kind of gets busy here and there. And it's like the television is the babysitter. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear about that. And maybe social services come knocking on my door. But there's there's like nothing else we can do. Um, And, you know, as understanding as these huge companies like to portray themselves as and caring and, yeah, we're here for you and da, da, da. It's like, yeah, but. If I came to you and said, I can't do this job because I have to watch my daughter, you'd be like, yeah, sure. It's like, no, you wouldn't. So people getting furloughed, people getting laid off, 6.6 million people. Unemployment, claiming, trying to claim unemployment benefits, 6.6 million, dude. And for the one time in my life, I'm on the right side of that. and I'm actually employed. <laughs> um, but of course, the two positions I wanted to fill at work possibly we're in a hiring freeze now and I can't get those two people in even though I'm so close to hiring one um so us trying to like I mean there was a there was a stretch where the only and the only thing that Brielle wants to will keep her attention is frozen it was frozen for a while it was frozen two not even frozen one it was just frozen two and so I think there was one day where we played Frozen 2 
five times, four or five times, back to back to back to back to back. Eventually, she warmed up to Frozen. So we got at least Frozen and Frozen 2 going. So that was nice. And eventually, she also started to warm up to Moana. So at least now, we have Frozen, Frozen 2, Moana. And there's a little bit, it's not as maddening as just Frozen 2 over and over again. (sighs) Trying to make her watch like Sesame Street. She's like tunes in for like five minutes and then is just trying to figure out what to do next. And guess what else she's into now? My arch nemesis, Blippy. I don't understand how this dude is successful. I know I did a rant about this back in the summer after we visited my sister down in South Carolina. I don't understand how this dude, his like net worth is like 20 plus million dollars. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's just him and a camera. And he just goes around different places and it's just like, wow, look at this. A red ball and 20 million views. It's like, what? I mean, the lighting's not even good. The audio stinks. It's not, it's not like a professional, I guess, production. It, not at all. And I'm not saying this is a professional production. It's obviously not. It's just amateur shit. But that's like me getting 20 million views on this. Not going to happen. But the toddlers love it. Even my niece, who's six, loves it. And it's like, you got to be kidding me, dude. First of all, his outfit is egregious. All right. I get the hat. I get the sunglasses. I get the suspenders. But then you're going to wear like a blue button down shirt on top of like gray jeans. What? It's like, that seems like a misfire to me. But, you know, more power to him. You know, you got you to gotta release the hate. And just let it go. Oh, fucking frozen is like permeated my goddamn cerebellum. So that's where we're at right now. Holy moly, fucking blippy. And and he he like kind of wings it most of the time throughout. And and I'm sitting there going, I cannot believe that this kid is just enamored, mesmerized with blippy. And he's and he just markets the fuck out of everything he does. He's like, hey, just go online and search for Blippy. Spell it with me. Be like, hey, parents, friend me on Facebook and Instagram so I can sell you more shit. It's just like, hot damn, Blippy, dude. My man figured it out. But that's how messed up and weird and warped my my mind is. Is that I look at that and I go, I could do that and I can do that better. It's like, well, then do it, Neil. No, you don't have the balls. All right, so that's life. Let's talk Mets. Should the Mets bring bring back Matt Harvey, the Dark Knight, a.k.a. Two-Face? I saw this was a question from SMY. There was a video, I guess, posted by, by Harvey on IG of him on a random mound, on a random field. It looked like a high school baseball field. Just him and a catcher. The cameraman's behind him. And uh, he and it's one, literally one pitch. And it, the, hey, the glove popped. There's no question about it. The glove popped, and it had some movement on it, and it looked good. We didn't have a, we didn't get a speed on it. I guess upper eighties, low nineties. I'd have to say. And and people went nuts, started jizzing everywhere, and just saying, "We got to bring, we got to bring him back." 
I mean, we got to bring him back. And that was before all this thing, all this uh, hoopla with Thor went down. And now that he has gone down, people are like, oh, well, now you got to bring him back. It's like, this is like two years ago we were done with him. And he went, I don't even know where he went. Did he go to Cincinnati and then he went to Anaheim? So he hasn't stuck anywhere. And so it's such a typical Mets move to bring him back. I don't know that you really should. I mean, maybe give it, maybe if he stays in shape and continues to show you progress and you keep checking in with him and he keeps looking good. Maybe, I don't know. I just, I think we have enough arms to be honest. And I I don't know that you want him and his bullshit in the, in the, in the locker room anymore. Do you? In the clubhouse? I don't know. I, I, it's not a hard pass for me, but I'm not buying. I don't even know what his numbers were. Uh, but I mean, if he's out there and available and no one's really chomping at the bit, I don't see why we need to. I mean, take a flyer on him for like a super low contract, I guess, if that's even possible. Um, but oh my, oh my, oh my. And here's the thing that I don't, that I'm not getting. So I'm a big fan of TV networks, channels, whatever, streaming services, re-airing, rebroadcasting the greatest, best games. I am not down with or okay with these simulations. These video game simulations, I couldn't care less. I've tried twice now. I've tried once with the Mets, a Mets simulation, where it's Mets Phillies or something like that. And I try I I think I watched like one out, one batter, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Same with the Devils. The Devils, I keep getting notifications like, oh, hey, check out the simulation between the Devils and the Sabres or the Devils and Penguins. I checked out the Devils and Penguins. The Penguins like scored like back-to-back-to-back goals right off the bat, and I'm just like, I don't really need to watch this. Like, this is meaningless. That's why esports, I, I just don't, I don't know if I could ever really get into esports. I don't understand the fascination with esports, the let's play movement. I know I sound like a fucking old man right now, but it's just the truth. I don't get the appeal. It doesn't, it's so, like, I understand when I'm playing video games, I'm fucking super into it, and I'm hyped, and I feel like I'm on crack cocaine. I am addicted. I, I get dry mouth, and, like, my eyes get, like, big and, and you know, dry, and, like, you know, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's addictive. When I play, when I watch someone else play, it's kind of like, meh. And then when I'm watching no one play and it's just like a computer simulation it's kind of like i don't know if i really care for this although i will say they need to there used to be and i think i mentioned this before there used to be like a tv series on espn where it's like nfl legendary matchups or nfl's greatest games something like that legend series or something like that where they have they would somehow edit together footage of one iconic team with footage of another iconic team and it look they tried to make it look like they were playing each other and i i like the idea and the premise behind it i mean you could tell like it just wasn't you know but, but my young child brain was still fascinated like oh who would win between the 89 49ers and the 91 Redskins. You know, they used to have those kind of matchups. And so I was always like really super 
into that, they should try. And I mean, now we have the technology has advanced so much. I mean, this was happening in like the nineties. I want to say, I want to say it was in the mid nineties, maybe late nineties that they were trying to put, pull this off, pull this together that I think they should try to revisit that now. And, but I don't know if I'd want to watch a video game simulation. It would have to look like I'm watching a live broadcast. And uh, listen, the video games, like the, how far they've come are amazing. Like I was looking at the video game simulation of Jacob deGrom and I was like, that looks like his face. His hat's a little weird, but you know, he's got the mannerisms and everything. So they're come, they come a long way, but I just don't know if I want to watch that per se, but I would love to watch something that looks more like a live broadcast. Someone's got to figure it out. That's for damn sure. Um, but like to, you couldn't, you can't pay me money to just sit there and watch a video game simulation when there, I mean, I don't know. Is there anything tied to this? If there was something tied to it, like you win the video game simulated season, you get X, Y, Z. It'd be like, all right, there's some stakes involved. Um, I guess, you know, the gamblers are probably super into it, uh, just cause they're, they're going through withdrawal. You watch like, uh, Big Cat and Marty Mush at Barstool, and it's just like they don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> and uh, so, but uh, I and um, it's so funny because I, speaking of Barstool, Penn National Gaming, they invested in Barstool right before everything went to shit. And uh, they, I think it uh, before they made the announcement, it was, something, it was at something like 24, and then they made the announcement, and I was like, I got to get in on this, this freight train to the moon. And so I tried to buy it through the Cash App because that's all I talk about on the podcast is like, Cash App, you can now buy stocks or you know sh- fractions of stocks for as little as a dollar. I was like, all right, you know, I'll pluck down some hard-earned moolah on, on Barstool, let it ride on, on uh, the pirate ship. And uh, and Cash App like it made it so incredibly difficult to fucking buy a stock. Just going through the app, I was like looking and looking and looking, search through help. There's just nothing, nothing, nothing. It's like, hey, go here, then here and here. And I was like, I'm there. There's nothing there. I am a man in no man's land. And so I eventually like you know, and I feel like. I mean, this is a major reason why I hate myself, but I do this where I email customer support and customer service. I explain the problem and they're, and they make it sound so easy to solve and it's not. And I end up doing what they're doing and I say what, you know, and, and it never works out. And they're like, oh, so just send over this, 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 and this. And I was just like, no, fuck you. And so then coronavirus hits, <laughs> the stock market goes to shit, uh, which I shouldn't laugh about. A lot of people lost a lot of money. But uh, it went, it was, it was, had gone up to, Penn went up from 24 to like 32 or something like that, 33. And I was like, ah, I missed the boat on this. And then the virus hit, stock market went to shit. And then it went down to like four. And I was like, wow, I should really snatch this up. And then of course I got sidetracked, distracted, and I ended up uh, getting in on it, I guess this past Monday when it was at 11, almost 12. So... You figure if it goes back up to 24.32, double or triple my money, not bad. But what's the ceiling? You know, I think, uh, what was it? Churchill Downs was like 98. 
at one point was the average or something like that. I was like, I don't think it's going to get that high. So um, just ride out the storm, I guess. Uh, so no, that's a no to Matt Harvey, I think. I'm not saying, like, shut, slam the door, you know, and and never pick up his phone calls, but, like, keep your ear to the ground and, uh, and maybe, I mean, that would be, you know, an ideal fantasy world. Like, they sign him uh, when he's, you know, fully back up to serviceable level for like a playoff push. But uh the, yeah, the big news is Thor tours UCL. God damn it. And he's going to need Tommy John. So looks like that would put him out until probably next April, possibly into next summer. So I don't know. I mean, is this the, are we seeing the last, is, have we seen the last of Noah Syndergaard? I don't know. Cause like, didn't, didn't Wheeler have a Tommy John surgery and didn't the Grom have a Tommy John surgery? So it's not like a death knell. Um, if anything, it actually might it gives you a second life, I think. I don't know. I've never had Tommy John. I kind of wish I did have Tommy John because it sounds like it's a just a godsend for your uh, for your arm. So, um, so what does that do? The rotation. What does that do? The bullpen. Well, we no longer have to worry about um, putting starters like Waka 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 or Matt's in the bullpen, I think now you can just put them in the starting rotation. So you have Stroman, DeGrom, Porcello, Waka, Matt's, which, I mean, that's a, I don't hate that rotation. You know, I mean, I've no, I sound like a broken record, but the thing about Thor is like, yeah, he's dominant for like five innings, maybe six, and then you have to rely on your bullpen anyway. So it's like, would you rather have, five or six, uh, zero, one, two run ball. And then the guy you bring in the sixth or seventh gives up a run or two. The guys you bring in the sixth and seventh give up a run or two or three. Eh, what's the use? Meanwhile, you have Walker or Matt's and it's like, maybe they give you six or seven and they only give up two or three runs. You're saving a run or two. So I don't know. Um, Paul Seawald and Daniel Samora were optioned to AAA Syracuse. That leaves our bullpen with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> seven arms. Evan Diaz, Dylan Batances, Seth Lugo, Juris Jer- Familia, Robert Gazelman, Justin Wilson, Brad Bratch, Bratch, Bratch. Uh, I like that bullpen. I mean, I know that it's like there's you know, Lugo had the thing with the toe and I mean, Familia's lost weight. Who knows where Gaselman is at right now? Wilson came on strong last year. Bratch was a good addition on the cheap. Uh, Diaz didn't look so great, so hot at the beginning of spring training, but maybe this, this stay at home order, he's quarantined and, uh, 
he can block out all the noise, meditate, get into a state of zen, and come out firing fucking gas. That'd be great. I like that bullpen. I mean, who knows? I know Batances is probably not at the top of his game. You know, he had the injury last year. But if you get every single one of those guys to just play average baseball, to just pitch at the average, we're going to the playoffs. That's all you need. I mean, think about it. If Diaz was just average last year, we make the playoffs. And that's with, you know, an inconsistent bullpen for majority of the year. I mean, they came down the stretch. They were pretty, uh, they held their own. I think they were one of the better bullpens, but uh, I really like that bullpen. It's just like, can everyone stay healthy? Can everyone just stay healthy? Uh, but I guess the 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 bigger news is like the fact that um, MLB has decided that this year, even if it's not if even if they don't play the season, ah, this is where you know if you come to me for like accuracy, truth, <laughs> facts. Hate to let you down. Hate to let you down. But I'm not that guy. All I know is I heard that MLB like said, if this season is postponed or canceled, that these players will still be credited with a year of service. Which means everyone that was supposed to be uh, a free agent after this season will continue to be a free agent. Right. So guys like Stroman, Cespedes, Lowry, Batances, Porcello, Ramos, Wilson, Waka, Mariznik, Bratch, Brack, Brock, um, will enter free agency as they're scheduled. So even if they don't play this year at all, that counts as a year of service and they get to enter free agency, which that's, eh. I think they're still paying them this year but not full rate i think i heard that as well there's also the idea that they're going to try and play games in the empty stadium uh which we all saw that happen when the uh during the baltimore riots when the orioles played the rangers back in was it 2012 2013 2014 maybe and they played an empty stadium that was eerie uh so I, I guess, you know, I'm all right with, with playing in an empty stadium. How about, like, not to get off topic, it's somewhat related, but the WWE just continuing to wrestle? Like, I feel like if there's any sport that probably should be discontinued, it's wrestling. <laughs> when it comes to coronavirus, I mean, that's all you're doing is touching each other, touching your face and rubbing your face all over the butt and the taint and the... <laughs> All that jazz. How can you continue? It's like they're they're wrestling with no audience, which that is tough to watch. That's tough. It is funny too because wrestling is so dependent on the pulse of the crowd and getting heat, generating heat. And, you know, you get the crowd to pop and that's just like not happening. I watched probably like five. Woo. 
five minutes of a match, and it was like a bunch of guys just yelling at each other and throwing each other around. I was like, what is this? <laughs> it's like without the crowd, it's not exactly what uh, is making all the sorority girls cream in their shorts. Um, so baseball in an empty stadium, I don't know. I feel like in order to liven that up, you know how the XFL, it's like, all right, the level of play was, I guess, slightly better than the what the AAF, whatever the hell that was last year. Um, so the level of play is like kind of similar, maybe a little bit better, but like the broadcasts were better because they just got better broadcasters who brought more to the, to the game. I think they, they should just start fucking experimenting with broadcasters on these games that are played in empty stadiums. Someone like Pat McAfee. Just bring him in. Bring back Dennis Miller, for Christ's sake. Who gives a shit? Just bring bring all kinds of different personalities in the booth and really have fun with it. I don't know. <clears throat> I feel like that's the way to go. But um, July 4th has the start date. Ooh, brother. I don't know how... Uh, although... How lit will July 4th be? If that's actually when this whole thing is able to blow over, that's like day, week one of uh, just like the return to normalcy, like the quarantine's over, the lockdown's over, and we're pretty sure the virus is donezo. July 4th, not a bad, not a bad time to celebrate. Freedom! Oh my God, freedom, baseball, outside, Grilling might go down as the best 4th of July ever? Question mark. Forefathers. All right. So Anthony DeComo, he he, uh, writes for MLB.com. He gave his ranking of the top five Mets first baseman of all time in franchise history. Uh, Number five, he had Pete Alonso, which was... Whoa, dude. One season under his belt, and Alonzo locks down number five all time. That is saying something. And I wonder if, and it, I mean, I kind of already know the answer here, but if I knew if it were me and I go out there rookie year and I pop off record number of home runs for not only a rookie, but Mets franchise history, blah, blah, blah. Isn't the pressure increased for your second year for the second year back you come back and it's like people are expecting you to are people expecting you to hit another fucking 50 home runs no right i mean i know i'm not i'd be happy with hmm. i would say 20 would be slightly disappointing i think if he hits lower than 20 that's that's probably a huge disappointment if this is, of course, over the 162-game season, which is not going to happen. So just, you know, fucking ballpark it, whatever it is, whatever correlates to that ratio, whatever the proportion is. But I'd say, you know, over 162, if he hits less than 20, you got to be like, whoa, what happened here? Like, are we in another fucking Brady Anderson, Chris Davis situation? Um, 20 to 30, I think... Between 20 and 25, I'd be a little, but that's okay. That's all right. 25 to 30, I think that's right where he will be. If he hits a little more than 30, I'd be like, well, if he hits 35 or more, it's kind of like, it's a little scary. I get a little, I get a little fear boner. 
gone popping off in my in my pants, my pantalones. Um, because we've got a certified I mean, I was willing to sign this guy to like the longest of long term contracts last year after what he did. And if he does it, if he pops off for another thirty five this year, it's like just lock him down forever. Um so he's at number five. So uh Dacoma mentioned like the you know, it's a bold move to put him at number five, but you look at the other candidates and you have, you know, I guess Lucas Duda is probably the the number one omission. Um, you know, Duda was uh, I fell in love with the Duda. The dude the Duda abides. Like I fucking love Lucas. I loved everything about him. And uh California guy who's just kind of mild mannered and just had a sweet swing. And unfortunately will probably be remembered for that for the one throw. Unfortunate. Um which stinks because uh, he had a, you know, he had to battle, you know, Ike Davis had the first base pretty much locked up and then he went to a kind of a slump and Lucas came on. He had to play right field for a while. Um, You know, he endured a slump. I think he had to go down to the minors for a little bit. So he had his struggles up and down, but like, man, there were times where he would rip the ball. I mean, seems busted. And it, it it just looked good to watch, and especially if you're at the 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 game and you can hear it, the crack of the bat. I mean, he just like he he would put holes in fences. So, dude is a tough omission, but like I don't know that you can argue with fucking Alonzo, man. The, everything that he did and in one season just overrules <laughs> all those seasons with Duda and Ike Davis, um, which a lot of people were in love with Ike Davis too. Um, number four was Carlos Delgado, who the Mets uh acquired at the ripe old age of thirty three, and he put up three really solid numbers for a first baseman. Um, power numbers, art rib ribeyes. I mean that two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, those teams, it boggles my mind how we didn't win a freaking world series in those three years Ugh. oh boy it's tough to swallow and it's been fucking 12 years at least okay um but yeah that's another guy where it's just like the ball he was different from duda duda it's just it's just like it was just you could tell he just crushed the ball right off the bat it was just that the swing is so massive and hard and the ball would just take off with Delgado, he would hit the ball and, he, and you'd be like, that's like from watching on TV, you think, oh, it's a pop out. It's a fly ball. It's a fly out. But the way that Gary Cohen reacts, it's just like that is long gone. It's just like, wow. So the power on Delgado, just uh, amazing. Number three is John Olerud and um, uh, it's bittersweet seeing his name on the list because he was a guy that I really liked. And I know he, he caught a lot of shit for, you know, wearing his helmet at first. I know Ricky Henderson, when he joined the Mets made fun of him, but my God, he was such a good hitter. He's pretty good at first too. Um, highest qualified batting average and on base percentage in Mets history, pound for pound. 
Olerud was the most effective first baseman in Mets history. He hit 354 in 98 and finished 12th in MVP voting. His batting average was 315, on base percentage was 425. Yeah, I mean, he joined 97 and was there in 98 and 99. And then he went to Seattle, 2000, which stinks because if we had him in 2000, would have been nice. Would have been real nice. Um, nothing against like Todd Zeal. Um, but if we had Olerud, Ventura, Alfonso, Piazza, that's a sweet lineup. So I liked his swing too. He had a nice swing. But you forget, like, he also hit for a little power, too. He had, like, 22 ding-dongs, 93 RBIs in one year. So, um, didn't miss a game, I think, in 98, something like that. So, I, Johnny, Johnny O. I guess he was there with Seattle when they had, like, the, the world's best regular season record, 108 wins or something like that, and they lost the Yankees in the playoffs. Ugh. But um, yeah, Olerud, solid dude. Um, number two, they had Ed Cranepool, or he had Ed Cranepool, um, who holds the Mets record for most games played, one thousand eight hundred and fifty-three games, which that's definitely more than ten years of service. Um, he had over three hundred only twice, and he eclipsed fifteen homers just once. So that's like the definition of just like. I'm going to do the bare minimum to keep my starting job. <laughs> it was also back in like the 60s and 70s where it's like, I don't think free agency was a big thing. I think you only got traded if like people like despised you or uh, if you wanted out. But like Cranepool seems like just a likable guy. He was just like, yeah, I'm cool here at first, batting 250 and hitting a dozen home runs a year. That's cool with you guys. And the Mets were like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, it didn't hurt that he had come up with some clutch hits uh, during the 69 World Series. Was he around for the 73 World Series? I guess, yeah. Um, but that was before my time, so I can't speak much to him. Know the name. Haven't seen him play a whole lot, but um, that's going to be tough to beat. I guess David Wright would have been the closest if he had actually stayed healthy all those years. And, of course, number one, Keith Hernandez. 11 Gold Glove Awards, most all-time by a first baseman, eighth most by a player of any position, He's inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame in 1997 and is not in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. What a load of malarkey, as Mr. Biden would say. So that's the Mets. Oh, man, Keith Hernandez. God damn. How do you get, like, why not? Why not? Why not? What is What is missing from his repertoire that you wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I, I assume... It's uh, I'm biased because he's been in the Mets booth for so long now that we've got to know him that way, and he's provided so many great moments in the booth that, like, if you took away the booth, would people still remember him and would he still be famous? And it's like, well, he was on Seinfeld. Take that away. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You take all that stuff away, but I don't know. You just have to uh, – I guess you just have to rely on his stats on the field, but, I mean, I don't think the Mets win – the pennant, the World Series, at all. Any of those years, if Hernandez is not in the lineup. So, 
Um, and if you haven't watched, I am Keith Hernandez. We used to watch it on DVD, digital video disc, back in the uh, mid aughts, mid to late aughts, and that is a hell of a ride. It is like a, I mean, it's a completely fictitious documentary about Keith Hernandez, but it is hilarious. And I wonder if it's online. I should probably look that up. Um, so that's the Mets. I mean, my fucking nose. Woo wee. Uh, I don't even know what to say about the Mets at this point. I don't even know if we're gonna have a season. If we do, um, you know, the simu the stupid video game simulation that's going on has the Marlins at six and one atop the NFC East. NFC East. Football brain. Uh. NL East, the Marlins, six and one, top of the top of the division. Um, so yeah. And the Mets are two and five was their record the last time I checked. They were like the next to last. I guess the was the Phillies were dead last or something like that. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, it's a video game simulation. How seriously can you take it? Right. Right. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they did start start the season like that um, and then turned it on. It always seems like we do okay in April. I think we do really well in April. Not, not as good in May. And then June, July, we just we just bottom out. And then August, September, we usually turn it back on if we do turn it back on. <laughs> um, so very curious to see how that pans out. So let's talk Giants. Let's talk Giants. Um, before we delve into free agency and the draft and all that, I wanted to talk about a few items on my list. On my set list. First one is uh, the NFL is expanding the playoff format to 14 teams so seven teams per conference and uh that got me thinking looking back on years on giants teams of your giants teams of, the, of previous years which teams would have made the playoffs and possibly gone far in the playoffs because you know it's a whole new ball game once again the postseason we've seen that multiple times now especially with the specifically with the giants 07 and 11 uh, Packers in 2010. Um, so I wrote a, a very lengthy blog post about this. The six Giants teams that would have or could have or made the playoffs under the new format or would have had a shot at making the playoffs in the new format. Um, there were six teams that came up with, uh, to be honest, for being frank, there's probably only like two or three that would have made it. But I was like, it would be nice to just reminisce about the teams that mm, – had potential and we're and we're so close to being there but just couldn't pull it off. Um so you can you can read that blog post uh probably tomorrow, I'll get it published tomorrow, hopefully. Today's the second of April, twenty twenty, so Friday, April third, possibly. Um I don't want to spoil anything. So maybe I'll talk about that next week once the the post is actually published and we get some fucking eyeballs on that shit. I will say though it is it, it is uh interesting um there were 
I would say there were two teams. There's one team in particular that I thought if there was a seven-team playoff format from the NFC, the Giants would have made it, and they probably would have made a good run. Just based on how they played other the teams in the playoffs that year in the regular season, and just knowing how Coughlin prepared them for 2007, you know, 2008 was kind of a whatever fluke in my mind, but um, I guess I kind of gave it away that just then. But it is it is interesting to see like the opportunities that were there that were squandered, and I really do think that you know we're at what we're at four Super Bowls now. I think if it had been a seven team format, we probably could have won two more. Throwing that out there. Well, one more. I'll say one more. Two more is a bit is a bit extra. Um, but speaking of teams, uh, a team that did make the playoffs and did win the Super Bowl, the 1986 Giants. It's the the team that really basically sold me on the Giants as a lifelong addiction, obsession, fascination, infatuation, adoration. I don't know why it's turned into a men's cologne commercial. I don't know. I don't know. But the 86 Giants, were that was what did it for me for this franchise. That's what turned me on, and that's what I have not been able to turn off. Um, but here's something that I just cannot wrap my fucking head around. The fact that Pro Football Reference came out with the top 100 NFL teams of all time based on rankings. I don't know. Um their internal rankings, however they their methodology was, I don't know. And Yahoo Sports came out with a best teams ever bracket series, one per sport, so Major League Baseball, um, NFL, NBA, NHL, blah, blah. The 86 Giants, if I were to tell you, hey, what do you think the 86 Giants would place on pro football references top 100 NFL teams of all time? What would you say? Would you believe me if I told you they're 12th? I find that to be like mind boggling. And I know I'm a diehard fan. I know I'm biased and I'm partial, but holy shit, man. I mean, the team went 14 and two. Three playoff wins, decisive playoff wins. They crushed the 49ers, they shut out the Redskins. And they stuck it to the Broncos. Yes, they were down for a little bit in the first half, but they came back with a vengeance and put it away big time to the tune of almost uh, 20 points. Three scores. And they're in the in their 12th. Take a gander at the fucking 11 teams that are ahead of them. 72 Dolphins. Yeah, I get it. They're undefeated. Whatever. I mean, they only played 14 games. That's worth, that's noteworthy. 85 Bears, I totally agree with that at number two. I mean, they, uh, I actually just watched part of the 30 for 30 about the 85 Bears, and man, that, that, that bunch. <laughs> Yo, um, tough as fucking nails, dude. Uh, 78 Steelers, yeah, sure, all right. 84 49ers, okay. 89 Niners, eh, okay. I mean, yeah, they really stuck it to the Broncos, I guess, in the playoffs. 
the 92 Cowboys. Okay, so Dolphins 14-0, Bears 15-1. Um, both of those teams ran the playoffs, three playoff wins championship. Steelers, 78 Steelers, 14-2. and 89 Niners, 15-1. and Yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, the 84 Niners. Yeah, they were fucking, they were real good. Um, the 89 Niners, 14-2. and 92 Cowboys, 13-3. and I mean, go fuck yourself. 2007 Patriots, 18, uh, yeah, I mean, essentially 18-1. and one. one giant loss. Holla. Um, I just don't know. I mean, you could say that giant Super Bowl win was lucky. Okay, helmet catch, I get it. Whatever, blah, blah. Samuel drops the interception. Maybe they called holding on the helmet catch play. Blah, 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 blah. <coughs> Fact of the matter is, they lost. Sucks they lost. They could have uh, probably got that loss out of the way in the regular season, won the championship, and I, I'd say, okay, yeah. Given the 15 and 1 in the seventh place, but 16 and 0, and lose to the Giants, who were shit tastic, according to a lot of people that year. I don't know that you can put them at seven. Eight 76 Raiders were 13 and 1. Again, the 14 games, I can't really credit. I feel like you got to be discounted or discredited for that. I mean, it's nothing against them, but there are other teams that played more games. And that's just how you have to weight it. 62 Packers, 13 and 1. Go fuck yourself. I mean, 13 and 1 and like one playoff win. Get the hell out of my top 10, dude. 75 Steelers, 12 and 2. Again, 14 game season. So um, I guess I'm okay with those 14 game seasons, but they need to be pushed down the list. Next up, the 99 Rams, which, you know, the greatest show on turf. I mean, they were, th- they were 13 and three. And they won the Super Bowl, but almost lost the Super Bowl. So I wonder if, if like, say, uh, what's his face? So McNair hits, was it Dyson? And Dyson actually gets in and the Titans win. Rams are not at 11. That's for sure, right? Rams fall down a couple spots. And then you have the 86 Giants at 12, 14 and two. I just don't get it. How are they behind the 99 Rams? How are they behind the 75 Steelers? How are they behind the 62 Packers, the 76 Raiders, and the 07 Patriots? I would even say the 92 Cowboys. I would put the Giants at six. Dolphins, 72 Dolphins, 85 Bears, 78 Steelers, 84 Niners, 89 Niners, 86 Giants. 92 Cowboys can go take a long walk, short pier. Um, I just, I, it's like, that really, that really bothered me. And then to also additionally, on top of that, to go to the Yahoo best teams ever, best NFL teams ever bracket. So there's 16 teams there that they picked. 86 Giants didn't make the cut. And it's just like, what are we even doing? Why even, why even have this? I don't understand. I don't understand. May, I guess maybe you could say it was a soft schedule. Maybe you could say that they needed combined victories against teams that did not make the playoffs, non-playoff teams. But the the good, great teams, you know, win games that that they play bad. Does that make sense? 
they still find a way to win ugly games. I don't know. So it just, just, I don't know, gets into my skin. Um, And then the 90 Giants were like, I don't even know where the 90 Giants were. They were farther down, but... um. Yeah, 86 Giants. I mean, I, I tweeted about this, and uh, I hope it gets some love because, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess they weren't, like, that flashy. The defense was just unstoppable. Lawrence Taylor, Harry Carson, Carl Banks, Gary Reasons. I don't know if Pepper Johnson was there yet. Was he there? He might have been. Um, Terry Kennard. Elvis Patterson. Perry Williams. Leonard Marshall. Jim Burt. Phil Sims. Phil McConkey. Joe Morris. Maurice Carthon. Mark Bavaro. Zeke Mowat. Bart Oates. Billard. Stacey Manuel, Stacey Robinson, Bobby Johnson. I mean, uh, you know, it's just a team that was uh, just put it all together at the right time and um, started the whole Gatorade bath celebration. I mean, do we not get any points for that? What the fuck? So kind of, I, I just, I don't understand the opposition to it. They're, they're, I'd love to know their methodology and figure out like, where did they fall short? Was it strength of schedule, strength of victory? I mean, they steamrolled just about everyone. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, PFR also released their top 100 NFL games of all time. Uh, and the Giants, so top 100 games. And there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 Giants games. <laughs> oh, 10. 11. 11 games out of the 100 are Giants games. And they're not all wins, folks. I just want to put that out there. But the majority of them are wins. Uh, coming at number 88, December 19th, 2010. Yep. It's going to be hard to say it, but week 15, Eagles, Giants, at MetLife, Miracle at the New Meadowlands. Like, blah, blah. M-A-T-M, too. I was at that game and um and I've told this story a million times, but I just I it's worth bears repeating. My cousin was there and at halftime we were up big. And I remember meeting him on the Esplanade promenade and saying to him, print the motherfucking tickets. We're going to the Super Bowl. And then it just all went to shit afterwards. And then I had to ride a train home with a fucking Eagles friend, fan, fan friend, who just smirking and smiling, and giggling, and laughing, and hardly saying pretty much anything, just smiling and giggling and laughing the entire time. And just little one-liners every so often just to let me know, still thinking about it, still can't believe it. So that comes in at number 88 on the top 100 NFL games of all time. Uh, number 70, 
January 2nd, 1994. Uh, this was week 18 of the 93 season. That's when they had 18 weeks with two buys. Uh, Cowboys at Giants, Giants Stadium, the old Giants Stadium. Uh, Emmett Smith, like, fucking dislocated his shoulder, separated his shoulder, and still played. And he, he helped the, the Cowboys clinch the top spot, which really sealed the Giants' fate. I think if they had won that game and got a bye, that maybe they would have done some damage. But the fact that they had to play that game, which was so high intensity and meant so much was on the line, division titles on the line. And uh, did it go to overtime? I think it made it might have gone to overtime. And then not coming out with the win, being deflated and having to fly to fucking San Francisco to face the goddamn 49ers. Can you imagine if we win that game? What hell, What happens then? That's a good what if. I might actually uh, write a blog post about that. What if the 93 Giants had won that game? Um, because then what happens? I mean, Emmett Smith gets a gets an extra week to recover from a separated shoulder. Um, if they lose, he has to go. Maybe he doesn't play in that wild card game. Maybe they lose because he's not in the game. The Giants get a bye, and then they get to host, right? Maybe? Or am I thinking, I think they get a bye. I have to look into it, but I would assume that they would have got a bye and then they would have hosted the divisional round, which all bets are off at that point. But if the Cowboys lose that game, I think that then they then have to go travel somewhere to play in the wild card game without Emmett Smith. So, I mean, kudos to Emmett Smith. I remember watching that game and thinking, how the fuck is this guy doing it? Um, Coming at number 62, this is December 90, 1934, the 1934 NFL championship. It was the sneakers game with the Giants. I think the Giants beat the Bears here. I remember watching this on like one of the old school VHS cassettes about Giants history, how they just switched to sneakers midway through the game and they just uh, ran, ran away with it. Coming at number 54, um, 2007 NFC championship where the Giants advanced the Super Bowl. And Tom Coughlin's face almost fell off. Um, and Lawrence Tynes defied <laughs> his coach and ran on the field when he, he had already missed, I think, two kicks at that point. I I, I, I would have put, I almost put so much money on the fact that he was going to miss a third time or miss that the kick that he clinched. Um, so glad he didn't miss. Uh, coming at number 51. This is another Giants-Bears game from the, a year earlier, 1933. The first scheduled NFL championship game. All right. I mean, why are you putting that at 51? Jesus. I think the Bears won that one. Uh, at 48, we have uh, the first miracle at the Meadowlands. God damn it. History repeats itself, eh? So we should expect, what is it, 70... 8-2010, so that's 32, so we can expect another fucking miracle in 2042. Excellent. Um, 39, coming at 39, uh, this was another fucking heartbreaker. Maybe I was wrong about the fact that the majority of her wins. The 2002 NFC wildcard game, Giants were up 24 points. And I thought, we are going to the goddamn Super Bowl. And then they just, I watched it slowly melt away. Shockey drops a pass in the end zone that would have fucking put the nail dagger through the heart, nail in the coffin. And it's like, oh, well, 
got Strahan pointing at the scoreboard when Owens is celebrating, and it's just all a whole bunch of shit. But uh, there was another blog post I was I meant to do where uh, Tiki went on the Turf and Surf podcast, which I guess is now the Go Going Deep podcast from Barstool, hosted by Stephen Shea and Willie Cologne. And they were talking about, oh, yeah, yeah. This nose don't quit, right? Um, and Tiki was saying that like he was pretty certain that if they got past the Niners, which they should have, that they would have steamrolled the Buccaneers. I mean, the Buccaneers went and won the Super Bowl that year <laughs> pretty handedly over the Raiders. Of course, the Raiders had some issues before the Super Bowl that kind of affected their gameplay, but um, bold words. And Tiki's like you know, never one who's not saying, I mean, he doesn't, he comes, he comes correct. He fucking has hot takes out the ass. So, uh, you know, he probably was just, that's another case of Tiki being Tiki, but I have, I want to investigate a little bit and see if he would have been right. Number 25. This is January 20th, 1981. This is the 1990 NFC championship where the giants, uh, break up the 49ers dynasty, at least the Joe Montana 49ers dynasty. And uh, and then number ten was the Super Bowl twenty five, the uh, against the Bills wide right, which yeah, I mean we got lucky on that one. I don't, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I prayed my dick off. My little ten year old me was praying his little balls off that he would miss that kick, and he did. And I think I've been paying for it ever since. It's like I, if I knew I was wasting my prayer on that one, I don't know if I would have. Uh, I might have taken it back. Not fence. Number five um, is Super Bowl 42. This was the first Super Bowl Tyrese helmet catch. Um, which, yeah, I mean, that was a, a fantastic game. I mean, I, I, I it was so hyped that entire game. I was with all my buddies down in the Red Bank area watching at a, our buddy's house, and we, we were very – very intoxicated, but I remember everything. Alicia Keys. Wow. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, we even had, I mean, we had Jets fans, friends there that were, you know, loving every minute of it. So, I mean, it was like every first down we were going bananas. And then number one is the greatest game ever played, quote unquote. This is the Giants and Colts, which I've seen highlights and I've seen clips and I'm just sitting here going, that's a pretty big label to put on this game. And maybe I, I, I really need to sit down. I think I might be able to watch it on YouTube. Maybe not. But I really want to sit down and watch the entire game and I and just figure out why I got that label. I mean, I know it went into overtime um, and whatnot, but I uh, just uh, – and it's not because the Giants lost. That's not, I'm not bitter. I mean, what I – mean, you know, it's like what? 20 – oh, my God. 22 years before I was born. Um, so uh, if you're wondering how many Jets games are on that list, I think there was one. So in your fucking face, Jets fans. You know, I'm not one to come at you, but I do have a Jets fan friend who comes at me and the Giants fan base in particular. Um, and he just can't, he just can't, you know, accept the fact that the Giants are a better franchise. <sighs> So, in your fucking face. One goddamn Jets game on the top 100 NFL games of all time. In your face. Uh, 
Um, might have been more than one. Definitely not 11, though. They also, PFR, had their top 100 NFL players of all time. And uh, as far as I can tell, and this is, I'm probably not a great fan for not knowing this or recognizing this, but I, I see four Giants on the list. Yeah, Emlyn Tunnel, 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 played 11 years for the Giants, 130 games. Um, you have Lawrence Taylor, played 184 games, 132.5 sacks, probably more than that because they only started registering sacks in 82, I think, and his first season was 81. Mel Hine, a center, which that is, uh, it's weird when they put players like that on the list from like the 20s and 30s. Uh, no offense, but come on. Did they even throw the ball then? I don't know. It's like they played seven games, and I think there was a total of like four points all season. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but one of the greatest players of all time. I don't know. And then Rosie Brown at left tackle, 162 games. Oh, just seeing that number makes me yearn for drafting a left tackle. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, let's talk free agency. It's in full swing. Of course, Tom Brady went to the Bucks. People lost their minds. There's rumors that he wants AB there, but then we saw Antonio Brown. Trying our working out with the Ravens, which uh, I'll be honest, that seems like a good fit. <laughs> I'll let you read into that as you will. But um, Antonio Brown with the Ravens, yeah, it seems like a uh, match made in, in hell. We're having. Um, I, I will say this: when the Raven, uh, you know, Ravens fans probably hear that and think uh, like I don't like the Ravens. Um, no, I mean the Ravens are like when the Ravens play pretty much anyone, I'm, I will pull for the Ravens Ravens versus Steelers. I'm on the Ravens side of history in that rivalry. Um, Ravens Patriots Ravens side of history. Uh, and I'm sure my Patriots fan friend, friend fan, uh, is not happy to hear that, but something about them Ravens. They're just so like, oof gruesome and uh i don't know i don't know. I can't find the word for it nefarious no that's not it um darius slay went to the eagles which stinks i guess i just kind of think that they probably overpaid for him and i mean they did lose malcolm jenkins and nelson aguilar which i don't think aguilar is a huge loss malcolm jenkins is a huge loss i think because he was such a leader in that clubhouse and Darius Slay, he has issues with Matt Patricia. I don't think Doug Peterson is is anything like Patricia, so I think Slay will probably enjoy his time more in Philly. I just uh, I think he's on the decline, and I think the Giants are going to have their way with him. Um, we also placed a franchise tag on Leonard Williams, seventeen mil. He's the first Giants player to receive a tag since. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul in 2015. We all know how that worked out. Hopefully no one lets uh, Leo near any fucking fireworks this offseason. Vincent Rapisardi, I know I quote him probably one, at least once an episode. He said that Leonard Williams was tied for eighth among uh, all defensive players and quarterback knockdowns last season with 14, second among interior defensive linemen. And uh, 
this stat measures the QB hitting the ground after the throw. So, yeah, I mean, he knocks the quarterback to the ground, which, you know, I'd rather have that than a hurry. You know, it goes sacks, then hits, then hurries, I guess is what you how you would rank it. So that's good. Um, I just know looking through a bunch of statistics from Giants defenses of, uh, of yesteryear that were good, um, it seemed like we always had a guy in high – mid to high double digit sacks and there were like there was like a couple years where it's not just QB hits it's QB hits and sacks and that's where Williams is kind of lacking he's got the QB hits doesn't have the sacks so uh you know I I really think that I don't mind the franchise tag I think you got to give him a full season in a Giants uniform to figure out what the fuck's going on especially um knowing full well that you weren't getting what you wanted out of Betcher and that maybe Betcher wasn't putting the best effort forward, best strategy, best scheme uh, out there on the field. Um, yeah, give him, give him a season with Patrick Graham. See what happens there. You know, maybe Graham cooks up something special. And at the very least, Graham will be able to devise something that allows Williams to occupy a blocker or two and free up the linebackers to do some damage. That sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, he's a big guy, and he attracts a lot of attention. So if he's going to get double teamed, that's, something's got to open up somewhere. Uh, Corey Coleman's coming back, which I, I'm i I'm fine with that. One-year deal. I think he, same kind of boat as Williams. Prove-it deal. One-year prove-it deal. You know, what do you got? Tour the ACL. You know, I think they, in the limited time that he played in 2018, returning kicks, uh, he looked good. There were there was a game or two where he 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 looked like a, a legitimate deep threat. Um, so uh, you know, we need someone to stretch the field, and I don't think that's. I think Shep is can occasionally pop off for a big one here or there. Golden Tate, maybe. Um. I mean, Slayton, obviously, he he showed that he can go deep. So I, I like that we we have a bunch of guys that can stretch the field now and not just this rinky-dink, you know, hitch and slant garbage that we used to run with fucking Odell all the time. And it's like, uh, okay. Um, Cody Core is coming back, special teamer. Um, I know Joe Judge, former special teams coach, so he probably values – I wouldn't maybe go so far as to say overvalue special team guys, but the more awesome special teams guys you put together, the less you have to worry about special teams and focus on the other units. And, um, you know, I, I, outside of, you know, obviously Zach, you know, had his issues last, last year snapping and that affected Rosas, but Riley Dixon is solid. Glad they uh, gave him an extension, gave him his money because he's worth every penny. I mean, he puts the ball inside the five more times uh, than he doesn't. And that is in large part due to guys like Cody Core. So we did lose Antonio Hamilton, who is another gunner who, uh, you know, I kind of had my issues with here and there. I mean, he would get torched at corner and he did make, uh, I think, one or two uh, bonehead plays. from the gunner position, but it's nice that we have Cody core. We also signed Nate Ebner, who's a, a safety. Um, 
special teamer who played under Judge for a, a long ass time there in New England. Um, one year, two million dollars. Played uh, ten special teams tackles in six of his last eight seasons. Only player to participate in the Olympics and with an NFL championship in the same year. So, and you'll find that's a common theme among the the free agents that we did sign is that there's postseason experience, postseason success, which I, you know, it's valuable. You need it. Eli Penny's coming back, which I'm a big fan of Eli Penny. I thought that he should have saw more carries, more attention, more playing time, more snaps. Hopefully they'll, they'll be able to work him in more now. David Mayo is coming back, which I, I'm completely on board with. I think he showed more than enough last year. I mean, they picked him off the scrap heap from San Francisco at the beginning of the season. He filled in when Connolly went down, and he did okay. You know, he wasn't a he wasn't a huge massive liability and he had some actually standout games. So three years, eight point four million. That's totally worth it to provide depth at linebacker. He finished the second on the team uh in tackles, fifth round draft choice by none other than Dave Gettleman. So we have a second round tender for Rosas. So he's free to negotiate with any club because he's a restricted free agent. And if he signs an offer sheet, uh, the Giants can match it. Um, so we have right of first refusal. Um, but if he does sign with another team, we get a draft choice compensation depending on how he plays. So honestly, I wouldn't mind getting a draft pick out of seeing him go. <laughs> I mean, he's, what, three seasons as the main kicker? Stunk in 17, awesome in 18, stunk in 19. And I guess you could partially put the blame on him for 19, but, you know, because people were saying that, that the snaps and the, you know, Dixon had to, like, be Superman to get the holds down and whatnot. His 32 field goals in 2018 are the fifth, fifth highest total in Giants history. Rosas's 97 field goal percentage is a Giants record in 2018. So it's like, what happened? Like, what's going on there? Um, so I and I participated in a, in a, a mock draft simulator, and I almost always picked a kicker in the seventh round every single time I did it because I was like, you got to bring someone in to put some pressure on him to perform, or else it's like, what's the point? Um. So the free agents we did sign, you'll the the three main takeaways that Big Blue View pointed out were short-term front-loaded contracts, spending big on defense, undervalued depth signings, which you know, I don't think they're very flashy or splashy these signings, but they address positions of need with players who I think they might have probably overpaid for a little bit but will provide you with reasonable value are they going to fulfill the value of their contract probably not but you're not going to be it's not going to be like a bust you know i think if you look back at the alec ogletree trade you'll be like well we probably lost that trade like it didn't really pan out um but i don't see that happening with these players so the first off is is uh, panthers corner james bradbury who was kind of surprised that he was actually signed by the giants even though he was drafted by gettleman in the second round in 2016 uh he started every game he played for the panthers 
and tied Luke Kukli with a team-high 12 passes defended. He's the fourth consecutive season he led the the Panthers in passes defended. Next-gen next stats says that uh, Bradbury has been one of the most con- consistent corners at creating tight windows with a separation of less than one, I assume that means yard, since the uh, entering the NFL in 2016. So n- no one's describing him as a lockdown corner, but he does not provide a lot of room to complete a pass. It's like, well, I prefer that than, you know, the three yards of separation that pretty much everyone in the secondary last year was giving opposing receivers. Uh, His 29% of targets trails only Casey Hayward and Darius Slay, both at 31% and tight window target rate in that span. I mean, who comes up with these fucking statistics, right, dude? Jesus. But still, it's good company, Casey Hayward and Darius Slay. I know I just talk shit about Slay, but. I mean, historically, Slay has been good. I just think he's where we've hit. He's peaked, <laughs> and he's now on the uh, on the slippity slide downhill. PFF said that James Bradbury's highest graded season came to his rookie year with a sixty nine point five. Uh, best game of his career came in Week One of twenty nineteen with a ninety one point seven coverage grade, interception, and pass breakup on four targets. So PFF uh, break out the umbrellas because they love to rain on the parade. <laughs> with their fucking weird grades. I'll tell you this. You know, we basically followed PFF's uh, grades when we spent big last go-round 2016. Snacks Harrison was, like, voted, was ranked the highest interior defensive lineman. We signed him. Jackrabbit was, like, had one of the highest PFF grades of that free agent class. We signed him. Olivier Vernon, like, PFF was gushing over him because of his monster second half. We signed him. What happens? I mean, you know, we released, we traded two and we released one without, we probably should have traded him and we didn't get anything back for him. Vernon got, just got released by the Browns and fucking Snacks just got released by the Lions and who knows what's going to happen with, with uh, Jenkins. Is he going to the back of the Saints? I don't know. I think I heard that he was going back to the Saints, but you know, I mean, eh, he fits right in there in New Orleans. Um, I don't know how anyone, you know, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It just seems like a good fit. Don't, 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 don't read too deep into that shit. Uh, and this is the guy that I probably like the most out of all the signings that we had in free agency, Blake Martinez. I was huge and high on this guy out of Stanford. In 2016, I thought the Giants should have drafted him and he would have provided the the spark in the interior at the linebacker position that we haven't had since Antonio Pierce. The stability, the consistency. He's 6'2, 237. They signed him for three years, 30.7 million, which that I mean, that's that's the common theme when you keep seeing him with these free agent signings. Not a lot of five-year deals, four-year deals being handed out. It's like three years seems to be the max. Um, and I think that's the the point is. And it really, I think it focuses around Saquon. It's like Saquon is going to be a free agent probably in uh, after 2021 or in 2021. Wait, 2020, 2019, 2020, So after the 2021 season, he's a free agent. So if you're thinking, if you're signing these free agents for three years, so it's 2020, 2021, which is the last year of Saquon's contract, and then most likely they're going to probably try and put, put the tag on Saquon if they can't work out a long-term deal. 
2022. Um, I mean, they want, I mean, from what I've heard from all these beat reporters, and I know you can't like trust them as far as you can throw them or whatever. Um, cause they'll say whatever they want to get, <laughs> you know, clicks and whatever, but it feels like they're really going to try and make Saquon the face of the franchise and make him a lifelong giant. And they should, I wish they would. Um, you know, because it's not the same situation as Odell. I mean, even take a look at Odell. I mean, you know, Odell was a was pro, was considered problematic, a distraction, blah blah. And they still threw a lot of money at him, and he still came back that season, and still was a circus act. I mean, it didn't help. He got hurt and was injured a lot of the time, but um, you don't see that happening with Saquon. So, I think they're more than willing to to shell out uh, dollars for him. But I don't know that they'll get it worked out right away. It seems like it's going to be a Leonard Williams situation, so they'll probably have to tag him in 2022. So that's why you're seeing these three-year contracts. Because in Gettleman's eyes, it's like, I, I mean, well, in Gettleman's eyes, he thinks it's going to be three years where they can be a contender while they still have Saquon. So why sign guys for five years when it's like it's probably going to all blow up after three years if it doesn't work out? Which, but, you know, the thing is, like, Gettleman's, I mean, this is the make-or-break year for Gettleman. But then it's, you know, we keep going back to this. Like, what is, what is, so it's playoffs or bust? Like, if he goes 9-7 and seven and misses the playoffs, we're, are we ditching him? I think if we went 8 or 8 or 9-7, and seven, a lot of people would be like, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. It's better than we've been. We haven't been 8 and 8 or 9-7, and seven, with the exception of 2016. So it's like, I don't know how much leash they're going to give him. I mean, obviously, if you go, if he has a losing record, if he goes seven and nine, I don't know. Anyway, Blake Martinez. <laughs> this is the dude that I really liked. I wanted the Giants to draft in 2016. They didn't. I was pissed. He led the the uh, Packers in tackles each of the last three years. Started every single one of the Packers 50 regular season games and postseason games. Um, He had a pretty awesome quote about Patrick Graham. He gave some insight because Patrick Graham was the uh, linebackers coach in Green Bay. Um, so he coached Blake Martinez and the next guy we're going to talk about, Kyler Fackrell. Um, but this is a quote from Blake Martinez. Just from understanding Pat and what he is looking for and how he put forth certain things and coach Patin's defense, I think it's just the aggressive nature. Everyone working together, everyone on the same page, everyone communicating, everyone is going to know exactly where to be and what to do on every given call. That's not going to be much, if any, mental errors at all. There's not going to be much, if any, mental errors at all. I know he stressed that a bunch. I mean, I mean, that sounds, it almost sounds like Joe Judge right there. I, I read it and I think Joe Judge. So I think that's a, a really good fit. And so that's why uh, I think Graham wanted Fackrell as well because Fackrell had one of his best years with Graham as the linebackers coach. He's only 28. Um, and when Graham was the DC, and not the DC, the LB coach with Green Bay, Fackrell had his most productive season, played in all 16 games, seven starts, led the Packers with 10 and a half sacks while contributing career-high 57 tackles. So maybe Graham can bring that out of... Uh, Bring that out of him again. His 16.1% pressure rate on 193 rushes last season was better than Zadarius and Preston Smith. 
per next-gen stats. Fackrell would have been third on Giants with 35 disruptions last year, and that was on 193 pass rush snaps. One less than Lorenzo Carter, who had 36 disruptions on 346 pass rush snaps. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great signing. And that was only, what, the one-year contract, 4.6 mil. Very low risk, but could prove very valuable. This is a signing that I'm a little on the fence about, but I could see it possibly working. Uh, Titans running back Deion Lewis, he he was with Judge and the Patriots uh, for those Super Bowls, played in two Super Bowls, played in all 16 regular season games for the third consecutive season. 49ers tight end, Lavin Tololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololololol
So you got one, two, three, four, five guys plus Macintosh. And I guess Chris Slayton, I guess, is still on the ball club. So it's, I mean, you got a lot of depth along the defensive line and you can probably rotate them in and out, which is great. But does that also mean that one of those pieces gets traded? And so that's what we're going to get to in a little bit when we talk about the draft. Could there be one of these defensive linemen on the block? Then finally, Cowboys tackle came Fleming. He's a guy who played um, with the Patriots and the Cowboys. Uh, so it's like he's got the familiarity with um, Jason Garrett, our new offensive coordinator, and our new f- offensive line coach, who was the Cowboys line coach, Mark Colombo. He was also played with the Patriots, where Joe Judge was. So I feel like Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo arrived at the same time in the same room for a meeting, and they just all looked at each other, and they just said, Cam Fleming? And then it was just like, boom, pull the trigger. <laughs> like, we all know this guy. We all know he's a tackle. Let's just sign him. Scoop him up. <laughs> so uh, I guess the initial reports would be, I mean, he, so um, first four seasons was the Patriots. Um, he, he actually started two Super Bowls and played very well. And now the Giants have both starting tackles from the Patriots Super Bowl loss to the Eagles. <laughs> Nate Solder and Cam Fleming. So, 6'5", 320. Three Super Bowl appearances. Um, one year, 3.5 mil. I mean, that's a good deal. I mean, it's, a, it's probably right in line with uh, Mike Remmer's money. I guess the initial reports are that Fleming will compete for the starting tackle position, but... I mean, who's he competing with? Remmers left. I guess Nick Gates would be the guy. I guess Gates didn't didn't play that poorly down the stretch. He actually got some decent grades and anything stellar, but um, that should be an interesting competition. But I still, and this is where we transition to the draft. Who do we go with at number four? What should we prioritize in the draft? Should it be the linebacker and Isaiah Simmons, or should it be the offensive tackle? Um, Jedrick Willis, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Becton. I think there's one more in there that I'm missing. Oh, man, this is, I mean, this is like the question of the century that I've been kind of toiling over nonstop in my head, and I, I feel like every other hour I switch my answer. Because, I mean, I feel like they've addressed the linebacker position. You now have Ryan Connolly. Say he comes back and he's back to 100% strength. I mean, we lost him in, like, what, September? It's got plenty of time to rehab and get back to full strength. And hopefully he that doesn't happen again. But, I mean, Blake Martinez and Ryan Connolly, pretty good to starting inside linebackers with David Mayo backing up. Um, Kyler Frackle, Frackle on the edge. Lorenzo Carter, Zoe Carter. Um, should they bring back Marcus Colston at uh, Marcus Colston, <sighs> Marcus Golden? I feel like the linebacker position is not as much of a need as offensive tackle is. And I know we just talked about Fleming and, and saying that he's probably eh, average dependable at the right tackle spot. Um, you could probably slot him in. Are you, are you super excited about that? Probably not, but, um, maybe a nice little bridge gap until you find something next year. I don't know. 
I mean, there's, these are tackles that I see the grades on them and it's like, these are, um, you plug them in, it's a plug and play situation. Like you draft them and they're, they're, they're your starter. So, uh, you know, like I said, I went through a, a, probably a dozen mock draft simulations and I think what I like the most is trading down. And I know Gettleman doesn't trade down. He's never really been a huge proponent of that, but, and he's already like throwing up smoke screens about how like there's it's very dangerous and risky, but why not trade down? Cause the offensive tackle that you want, there's, there's, there's like three or four that you could go with and know that you could plug them in and, and they can start and play well. There's three or four. So if you trade down to still within the top 10, you're going to get one of those guys offensive tackle. And then you could trade up and get your linebacker. So you have, you trade back, you probably get um, a high second rounder and then you could trade back into the first round and get the linebacker you want. Sure, you don't get Isaiah Simmons, but there's been a lot of like weird weirdness around Simmons. I mean, his grade is stellar. He's got over a seven grave grade, which means that he's like he's a pro bowler. Um, and uh, you know, I I see all the statistics coming out on him, and it's just hard not to want to get him at four. But then people are saying, is he going to fit in the system? Like, you see the right fit. You already have a guy like Jabril Peppers who's playing close to the line. You have Julian Love who's playing close to the line. And where does Simmons fit into that? Are you going to put Simmons close to the line? So now, now it's like you're almost playing like a Buddy Ryan 4-6. Uh, I mean, I, I actually don't mind the I don't mind the prospect of that. <laughs> if we can pull it off. Uh a four six where it's just like we're constantly putting pressure on the other team to to throw the ball. I don't know that we have the secondary to keep up with that, but um so the mock draft I saw from Walter Football. I'm just gonna go over the mock draft from WalterFootball.com, which uh is a, a site that I I hold a lot of trust in. Um they have the Giants going with Simmons at four. Which I, I wouldn't be disappointed or hate that. It's like if we go with Simmons, fine. But if we don't go with Simmons, Simmons isn't the pick for us. I think you trade down, pick an O tackle, and then try and use one of the chips or assets that we have, which I'll get to in a little bit, to get back in the first round to get uh, a playmaker at the linebacker position. But so Walter Football has Simmons at four. They have Antoine Winfield Jr., a safety out of Minnesota, uh, in round two which uh, is interesting, and I don't hate that either because I do think they need to address the safety position. I just didn't think that they would be that high because, you know, say things don't work out, whatever, they don't get their guy. Um, I, I weirdly have confidence in Peppers and Love back there. I don't know why. Um, but, you know, there was talk about Jeff Akuda. At number four, you plug him in, and he's 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 got a grade of over seven comparable to Simmons. I think he has a better grade than Simmons. And so you don't even have to worry about the corner position anymore after you draft Akuda. What the hell you do with DeAndre Baker, I have no idea. I mean, legitimately, do you trade him or do you cut him? 
I mean, this dude, there are reports now saying that he was falling asleep in meetings last year. I mean, that shit's not going to fly with Joe Judge. I just, I, I can't imagine him putting up with that. Although I do see Judge possibly taking him aside and really like talking to him and trying to work with him through it. But if, if, big if he has that discussion with baker and baker still comes in and falls asleep or just can't act right uh adios muchacho um so that's round two with winfield aquara round three edge rusher from notre dame which uh, i think he's related to uh was it romeo aquara a guy that the giants i don't know they don't think they drafted him but he was an undrafted free agent who showed flashes of potential showed like really amazing abilities and they just let him go. I think they either traded him or just let him walk. And uh, he ended up doing fairly well, I think with the lions, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so that would be interesting. And then they have them, the Walter football has the giants going edge rusher again in round four, Curtis Weaver from Bo- Boise state. Yasir Durant offensive tackle from Missouri. In the following round, which in the the note on him that they had was lots of physical presence and promise, but uh, bad work ethic. And it's like, dude, I just don't think. And that's a situation where we'll have to see what judge can get out of these guys. And I think that's the appeal of Joe Judge is like uh, coaching up, which fucking Sherman and um, Shermer and Betcher couldn't do. At least uh, that that's what it looked like they couldn't do. And, uh, I mean, judging by what they said in press conferences, um, you know, they felt that the talent was lacking and they just they, they couldn't overcome it. Judge has gone the opposite route and said, you know, it's not about, you know, there's talent, obviously, but there's a way to, like, uh, you know, scheme to the talent. So, but still, I, I don't know. That seems like a red flag to me, bad work ethic. Um, following around, they have Lamar Jackson, corner, uh, Nebraska, which I've seen on a couple of mock drafts, which I don't hate. It's just getting super crowded in the secondary, and it means someone's on the outs. And I don't know if that's Grant Haley or Sam Beal. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of young guys back there, and to throw another young guy into that mix who's just going to be another body, I, I don't know. I think he had a pretty good grade, though. Jackson. Next round, they have Raymond Calais, a running back from Louisiana Lafayette. This is a stupid move. I don't agree with this at all. I don't think you draft running back at all in this draft. I really don't. I think next year, yes, definitely. But I, because then you give him a year to kind of uh, to get into the flow of things, should uh, Saquon be on the outs, but. I think it's. I think that's a wasted, wasted pick. I mean, we we and maybe this was put out before they signed Deion Lewis, but I mean, you now have a you now got Eli Penny, Barkley, Gallman, uh, Deion Lewis. I don't know if they're bringing back Buck Allen, but they got a, a decent amount of running backs in the mix that you don't need that many running backs, and to waste a pick on it, it's like I don't, I don't agree with that. Next pick is Logan Wilson, a linebacker from Wyoming, which uh, you know, I'm all I, I will never get mad at drafting linebackers. <laughs> and I know I've criticized Jerry Reese over the years for his selection of linebackers because he was so poor at it, but um 
I just really think that, uh, you know, don't, I mean, obviously don't, don't throw away a pick on a linebacker, but, um, you can never have enough good average linebackers. Um, the next one is Kendall Vildor corner out of Georgia Southern. And they keep saying like, Oh, the giants need depth and corner and the secondary need depth, need depth. And it's like, do yeah, but we just need more bodies, especially low round bodies. Like I get to understand if you're like, okay, we need to an infusion of talent ASAP. We'll draft a CUDA at four. I do not understand drafting corners in the six, the fifth, sixth, day three corners. Don't get it. James Proch, wide receiver SMU, is the last pick, which is is befuddling. Cause this is a very deep draft in terms of wide receivers. So I'd actually like to see the Giants. And I and I did this in a few mock drafts. I found myself always picking Chase Claypool. Uh, I believe that's his name. Chase Claypool. Uh Notre Dame wide receiver he had a grade of like 6.33 or something like that. So he could become a starter relatively quickly. And with Golden Tate's status somewhat uncertain after this year, um, you know, unless he has a breakout year, the Giants do really well. It seems like they probably will move away from him. Um, they need to have someone else. So that it would be Shep, Slayton, Claypool. I mean, it's a pretty good trio with Coleman kind of in the mix at four. Um, I don't hate that lineup. So um, I don't think they go Jerry Judy or CD Lamb in the f- in, with their first pick. I think that's a waste because they have so many other problem areas. You know, linebacker, safety, offensive line. Um, I just I don't see that being worth it. And I know there was a best player available type of approach for a long time, but like it can only get you so far. It can kind of screw you in the end. So I think. Save the wide receiver for third, fourth, fifth, maybe round, but not not seventh. That just seems like, I don't know, a waste. Unless it's a special teams kind of guy that can replace, coming in and replace Antonio Hamilton and, and, and be a gunner opposite Cody Core, then I'm like all for it. Um, And so here's what I've been talking about. Here's where I think the Giants will find the most success in this draft, and I don't know that Gettleman has the schlitzbah to pull it off, but I would love to see him if he doesn't go Simmons at four, which it sounds like the Giants are falling in love with Simmons, and why not? I mean, he's got everything. Um, he's basically Saquon, the defensive version of Saquon. Um, but either way, even if they do draft Simmons or they do trade down, I think they have two assets, and people have said this. I've heard rumblings, and I've seen it online. They have two assets that they can use to get back into the first round or at least the high second round to get another need position. So if they go linebacker at four, it would be offensive lineman. If they go, if they trade down and get an offensive lineman, then they want to trade one of these players, get back in the first round or top of second round to get that playmaking linebacker. Evan Ingram and Dalvin Tomlinson. These are two giants who, uh, were Jerry were part of Jerry Reese's last draft class in 2017. So there's that extra impetus for Gettleman to to shed all the weight and all the 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 fingerprints that Reese left on the franchise. That was like, you know, it, it seems like it's been his modus operandi since day 1 is just like I'm going to 
cut the fat, trim the fat. I'm going to get rid of any remnants of Jerry Reese in this organization. And Evan Engram and Tomlinson outside of maybe Sterling Shepard are like the last remaining pieces um, of Jerry Reese. So uh, at this point, and I know I said this after the Redskins game last year that or the first Redskins game, I was like, sign Evan Ingram to a long-term contract. He's worth it. Look how he he interacts with his teammates and how the energy he brings and how he's gotten better at blocking, blah, blah. And I know I said all that. But uh, I think you get more out of him in a trade than you do with him on the team. Because you have Caden Smith and Eric Tomlinson and... uh. Live Levine Levine Tell. I mean, you got all these guys. I know Rhett Ellison's gone, but you have CJ Conrad, uh, Garrett Dickerson. You ha- you have five or six guys that um are probably better at blocking. Obviously, not as not playmakers or as good enough catching the football and running away from people, which uh, I've always been. I've always uh been flabbergasted by how uh engram can just pull away from people it just it's it's a thing of beauty to watch but um that said you could probably get jump up in the draft if you trade him away and you can get that other position uh of need and then their piece dalvin tomlinson i mean you know we talked about it earlier when discussing leonard williams and austin johnson you bring it you bring Leonard Williams in when it was already a pretty, in my mind, a pretty solid defensive front uh, with Hill, Tomlinson, Lawrence. And now you bring in uh, Williams into the fray. And now you bring in Austin Johnson, a young guy who, um, I'm not quite sure what they see in him other than he's available and he, he seems dependable and he's about to blow up maybe. He seems like on the precipice of doing something special. I don't know. But it seems like uh, Tomlinson might be on the way out, but he could fetch something uh, big in the draft. Um, so we would package Engram and the team's second-round pick to trade back into the first round, which... Uh, <sighs> Oof, that would be interesting. And then that would put all these fears about, oh, linebacker versus OT. If you can trade one of those pieces, Anger Moore, Tomlinson, and a pick to get back in the first and, and get the linebacker and the offensive tackle, I mean, who's to argue with that? Um, so that's it. That's the show. Cool two hours, no biggie. Um... Hit me up on the socials if you can, if you want, if you do, I'll be appreciative. Uh, leave voicemail, 862-BIT-1986. Um, I'm very, very interested and curious to see what goes on with this friggin' draft. Um, I think Gettleman has a huge opportunity to come away with some quality pieces. And uh, so far, you know, I mean, pro football focus shit all over the free agency hall that we had. I mean, they called everything that we, every move that we made, they said it was below average, below average, below average. And I cannot wait to to stick it in their fucking grill and uh, make them eat that crow hoe. Because, uh, because I, I don't 
like these don't seem like bad signings at all. I mean, everything I read, so they're not elite, okay? But they're above average, and I think that's all we're asking for. And if you sign above average and they play average, that's still better than what we had. <laughs> so I'm okay with it. Um, and you had to spend a little more money than you probably should have or would have, but you didn't break the bank. We still have a little money. We still have some room under the cap, even with the draft class coming in. So I think there still could be a, a position player or two, um, whether that's Marcus Golden. I know Jadavion Clowney. He's now dropping his asking price to around 17 or 18 mil. Um, I don't see why they would trade for Yannick Nagwakwe and pay like 22 mil plus. But um, I mean, if they have the means and they think it could work, it's just like, I don't know. So I wouldn't write off the Giants. I mean, the the Giants, you know, while it's great to win free agency, like we won free agency one year, but we didn't we didn't win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, we went to the playoffs and we got smoked. So it's like I'd rather not win free agency and win ball games. All right. All right. So that's the show. Thank you so much for listening. And uh hopefully you you and yours are staying safe and uh and being happy and healthy and enjoying your time together, quality time. Um if you're out of work, I'm sorry. I uh, wish you the best. Uh, I'll try and help you out as much as I can. Um, I know I'm not out of work. I am overworked at this point. So, um, you know, I'm, I probably need a little, uh, a nice little vacay. Um, stay K? Stay K, anyone? All right, that's enough. I got to get the fuck out of here. Late, y'all. <laughs>